Hello, and welcome to Twice Exceptional, teens exploring and living with neurodiversity. My name is Kate. I'm the host of this educational podcast. I'm currently 17 years old, and I have been diagnosed with ADHD since I was 10. Additionally, I was tested for giftedness at a child, making me twice exceptional. I started this podcast because living with ADHD can be difficult, and I wanted to find a way to reach people and share some information about neurodiversity from someone who is currently dealing with it in their everyday life. Not only am I neurodiverse, but I have a brother who is neurodiverse, meaning I have seen how symptoms can be portrayed differently at different people. In this podcast, I discuss my own experiences, interview others on their experiences, and share research on neurodiversity. This is the 25th episode, and for this podcast, it's been out for over a year, so I'm going to be talking about some of my past interviews and sharing some of my favorite moments with you. Unfortunately, I was not able to share clips from all of my interviews, so please check out Parenting Two Teens with ADHD to hear my parents talk about raising me, a twice-exceptional kid, and my brother, a boy with ADHD, at the same time. Also, check out Functioning with Autism to hear Celeste, a high school student, share her experiences with autism in the school environment. So let's start the episode. One of my first interviews on this podcast was Mike Walker. I really enjoyed discussing the differences between ADHD in the past and present and how he harnessed his ADHD to help him in his work. Here's a short clip from the episode, ADHD as a Superpower. So my name is Mike Walker. Uh, I own the Gold Medal Swim School in Chandler, Arizona. I was a former collegiate coach at the University of Texas, University of California, Berkeley, and the University of Illinois. Um, I was lucky enough to coach pretty much every major international meet across the world, two Olympic teams, world championships. Uh, I've been really blessed to have coached a lot of amazing athletes, um, some with challenges like we're going to discuss today, but I've been really really fortunate to surround myself with fantastic people. Mm -hmm. Um, the swim school gets to touch the lives at a fundamental swim level, but really have had access to athletes and and young people from really, uh, young kids, five, four or five years old, all the way up to pro athletes, 25 and 30 years old. So you have ADHD, right? In 18 point bold font. I have it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm 53 years old and you know, obviously I grew up in a very different era than maybe a lot of your, your viewers come from, uh, there, there wasn't something, I mean, it was there, but it wasn't something talked about and it definitely had a very negative stigma. Um, Mm -hmm. so if you thought you had it, you kind of wanted to hide it. Um, it wasn't something you embraced. Um, Uh I probably didn't learn that I even was aware that I had it till probably college, Uh maybe even post-college. So it was probably in the nineties, when I really even learned what it was. And it wasn't until I really started coaching that I learned that it could be a superpower. One of the major changes that really followed after you kind of figured out that you had ADHD. Um, I learned, I guess, tricks, if you will. People would call them coping mechanisms, but you end up learning how to harness it as a power. Uh-huh. Um, the hyper-focus ability of, of our gift is really a blessing. And if you understand Uh how to utilize it, I started to utilize it as something that I always treated as a power that I didn't want to get rid of, (laughs) that I really did use it to help propel me. You know, I, when I first started coaching, I would tell people, um, I was 
passionate. I think when you, when you have our situation or have our gift, finding that passion in your life really takes it and makes it a gift because you can super focus and get so much high quality work done because you're so passionate about it. So uh-huh. for me, that's where I really started. I started understanding that if I fed my passion, then my focus would increase. So that was probably number one. And the second thing I did was I would not put myself in positions where my gift was then a weakness. I wouldn't uh-huh. put myself in situations where I could be easily distracted. Like studying at a Starbucks for me is a complete dumpster fire. I, I, that's not even a place I could study. So I uh-huh. wouldn't do things like that. I wouldn't go to the library and sit in the common room. I'd get a, I'd get a room and I'd reserve it for myself. Yeah. And I would buckle down and put myself in a position to be more focused. So I think you end up learning coping skills that both help you to do better but also you remove those situations that aren't going to help you. Like group studying for me in college uh-huh. was, was more of a social event than it ever was. I was going to get work done. So yeah. as long as I understood that it was a play date, I was fine. I had to set aside <laughs> private time later. So yeah, it's I more, you, I think you just develop those skills that yeah. help you become better or you avoid the weak moments. Yeah. I know for me, at least personally, I get distracted even in a quiet room sometimes. Like I, I do too. distract myself a lot. But you're like, wow, this zipper on my backpack is so interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I get that too. Music helps me a lot. Music yeah. kind of helps me calm down. If for me, a lot That's, of it is the calming part. I need to be more calm. Yeah, that works for me pretty well, honestly. I listen to music when I do most of my homework and it actually helps. Do you listen to music that gets you excited or more music that chills you out? Depends. Usually chill. Like coffee chills me more than it makes me more hyper, really. So I don't know. Uh, I caffeine. I don't know if we're supposed to discuss that, but yes, <laughs> I drink a lot of coffee, especially when I have to get a lot of work done. I do. Yeah. Coffee, tea, green tea helps me for sure. Uh-huh. A soda. When I was younger, I was naturally drawn, I think, to high caffeinated beverages. I drank coffee very early on, and I didn't understand why. Uh-huh. Um, it was actually through your mom, Doctor Dunn, that I. I actually understood why the caffeine was so effective. I actually One recurring more. theme in a lot of my interviews is how looking back at their childhood, a lot of people realize the symptoms they had been showing the entire time. Leanne and I discussed this in great depth in the episode Looking Back. Let's take a listen. So my name is Leanne Dolan, and I um, am the director of communications and development at Valley Youth Theater. Uh, which is a theater here in Phoenix, Arizona. We, it's an amazing theater program for kids. We've had quite a few stars come out of here. Uh, Emma Stone was a value theater kid and Kamiko Glenn was a value theater kid. And I was a value theater kid when (laughs) I was 16. Um, I grew up here in Phoenix. So I went to high school with, of all people, your mom. Yeah. at a place called Xavier College Preparatory, which is a pretty uh, rigorous kind of school. Mm-hmm. Um, I left uh, when I graduated there. I went to two years at Creighton University in Omaha, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. I learned that Nebraska is gorgeous and very cold in the winter and it has tornadoes. And so I came mm-hmm. back and I finished up at ASU. Mm-hmm. Um, and at ASU, that's when I was diagnosed with ADD. Mm-hmm. Um, which is something that I, I clearly have had all my life, but I wasn't <laughs> diagnosed until college, which is kind of interesting. So, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, well, because, you know, if you take a look, I mean, obviously, once you're diagnosed, you can look back, right? You yeah. can go back and you can be like, oh, yeah, my fifth grade teacher consistently wrote like, Will, Will would not stay in your seat, right? And it's like, why weren't you going to stay in your seat? I, I do remember in fifth grade, like, sh- going and sharpening my pencil was like my favorite thing to do. Like, I would sharpen my pencil 28,000 times mm-hmm. because like, why would I stay in my seat? <laughs> That's yeah. the stupidest thing in the entire world. So so it wasn't until our professor at ASU was like, I think you have an issue with the way that you learn. And I think that you need to look at that. Like, has anyone said anything to you about it? And no one has said anything to me. Mm-hmm. We graduated from Xavier for Pete's sake. Yeah. So it's not like I couldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went to Creighton. But, but, you know, until the professor was like, you have you might have some issues with this. Why don't you go take a look at it? Mm. I really kind of wasn't thinking about it because I'm, you know, not to date myself, but I'm 47 mm. this year and ADD and ADHD was a thing that boys had yeah. and boys were loud and screamed. Kids, mm-hmm. boys with ADHD screamed. They mm-hmm. ran around the room and yelled. They had to take a break and run around the school and they they were disruptive mm-hmm. and would throw things and that wasn't me mm-hmm. I would talk a heck of a lot you know I was clearly getting up all the time and sharpening my pencil I wouldn't turn in papers I would do the work I just wouldn't turn it in if I didn't like the teacher there's no way I would do any of the work they asked me to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was avoidant. Things that I didn't want to do, I was avoidant. But I also had hyper-focus. So if I really yeah. wanted to do something, I would just... Um, you know, so at that time, that's like a quirky girl. Uh-huh. Right? Boys yeah. got the attention. Boys got a diagnosis. Girls were just like really quirky Uh and kind of you know they were still like hanging in there surviving Mm. so they really weren't paying attention and it wasn't until that professor when I was at ASU that was like hey I think you really need to take a look at this um was you know I brought it up and then Mm -hmm. uh, I I went and got tested Mm -hmm. did you ever take a test did you ever like get tested for it yeah okay I was so, diagnosed when I was like 10. They had a like a survey and then I sat in a room and like hit a button on a computer and someone watched me. Okay. The hitting the button on the computer thing. I lost my mind. I remember it so well. <laughs> so they stopped it halfway through and were like, they were like, Leanne, you have to hit the button when you see the dot. And I'm like, I'm hitting the button when I see the dot. And they're like, you're actually hitting the button before the dot is on the screen. So you're not. And I was like, okay, well, I just kind of figured the dot was going to come up. So <laughs> whose fault is that? Not mine. Not my fault. Yeah. Uh, you guys made your test predictable. It was weird um, because like the person was just sitting behind me watching me when I was doing it. And I was like, what? And I did move around a lot during that. So that's probably part of it. Yeah, I was like, I just got bored. And so I was, I guess I was just trying to um, uh, just predict when the dot would come up on the screen. 
And they didn't like that very much. Mm -hmm. One of my all-time favorite interviews had to be Bren Brainerd, a comedian who has 2.9 million TikTok followers. I absolutely love him and his podcast, so I was thrilled he was willing to share with me in the episode ADHD with Ben Brainerd. My name is Ben Brainerd. Uh, I am a comedian. Um, I, there's a lot. That's a, that's a big question. I've done so many things. Uh, my career, so I, I, out of high school, I went to college for engineering. Mm-hmm. I was going to be a mechanical engineer. And then I got bored, so I stopped going. Uh, and when I dropped out, I joined the army. And then I moved to Orlando and I started to, doing stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was doing stand-up for a while. And then the world shut down from COVID. And I turned to online sketch comedy. And so now that's like the main thing that people know me for is online sketch comedy, where I dress uh-huh. up as all of the states of America, sit down at a table and talk about how nobody's doing well. Yeah. And if all of that doesn't already explain my connection to ADHD, uh, hi, I have ADHD. When did you first hear about ADHD, just like in general? Well, I don't remember. Okay. Uh, I, I imagine it was a long time ago, probably when I was a kid, whether or not I like took it seriously or thought anything Mm -hmm. of it is, you know, up for debate, but I probably heard about it when I was real little. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then, so when were you diagnosed with ADHD and was there a main reason or was it just a mix of reasons? So I was diagnosed in January of 2020, Uh which is the perfect time to do anything, (laughs) you know? And there's a, there was a small mix of reasons. So I had kind of thought that I had ADHD already at that point, Mm. but this was well after I had dropped out of college. Uh, This was after I had started doing comedy and all that. Um, And so it it really didn't help much. I think I was working at a call center at the time. Mm -hmm. And I knew like I was just having the worst possible time trying to actually get call center work done just calling people all day and at that point I was like maybe let me look into some some medicine uh the other interesting factor in this is when I was at basic training the guy that slept in the bunk next to me for those 10 weeks uh, had a master's in family psychology and after like eight weeks he was like hey man I think I've diagnosed you and I was like why would you say that out loud with no other context? And so he just started telling me a few things that he noticed about me and like what that possibly meant. And he's like, when we get out of here, man, I'll send you some, some information and some resources and stuff. And I looked it up and I was like, damn, okay. I'm a little scratch and dent. And I just booked an appointment at like a local psychiatrist. And I walked in and I was like, Hey, I think I have ADHD. And he handed me a piece of paper and he was like, fill out this form. And before I even finished it, he was like, no, you have ADHD. And I was like, well, that felt rude. So you didn't have to take like a test or anything? Because I know I I, had to do that. I, that was the test. He made me take the test. But before I finished the test, he was just watching (laughs) me take it. And he was like, nah, nah, you got it for sure. Uh Uh-huh. 
Okay. And then you mentioned the military and how you were in basic training. And I was going to ask you, do you think that having ADHD like impacted some of your experience with that or? Oh, I'm sure it did. The weird part about it is that I think military life is really good for people with ADHD in certain Uh senses because it's so structured. It's so regimented. Mm -hmm. All of the little stuff is basically just taken care of for you. Like you never have to think about what you're going to have for dinner. You have three options. You just pick one, man. I just, I honestly just picked the one that looked the worst for me. They would color code it. That's a fun (laughs) fact. They don't really tell you. There's a red one, a yellow one, and a green one. And I would always pick the red one because it was probably fried. And so I don't know, there's a, probably a few things that for sure affected the, that my military career because of the ADHD, like I agreed to do a lot of things without actually getting any follow-up or explanation of what it was. I was just like, mm-hmm. that sounds fun. And I would, I would do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I feel like the, the decent diet and daily exercise helped I, I, not cure, but helped like mm-hmm. assuage a lot of the the symptoms of the ADHD. Yeah. So I was kind of more on point after we did like our, our daily workout, like in the morning, we'd wake up and like eat something and then go work out and then eat some more food. And, and I think like, because of all that stimulation, I was always just like, ready to go. One of the coolest things about my next interview was that Dan actually reached out to me. I have mentioned multiple times that I would love to hear your stories, and he took that chance to share his experience with ADHD while working as a school counselor. Check out the episode, Advocating for ADHD. So my name is Dan Schlosser. I am a school counselor. And I myself, I have ADHD comorbid with uh, generalized anxiety disorder. 1998, from 1998 to 2000, I worked at the National Center for Disability Services, which is now Abilities, and I worked with students with learning disabilities, but mine wasn't diagnosed yet, and that's actually when things started to come out, my problems started to come out, and you know, I I was standard twice exceptional that I had my issues, but the talent was able to compensate and hide a lot of it. I ended up going to an okay school. Like I did all right. I mean, I got my standard B average. And as long as I got my standard B average, my mom, you know, I was, I was cool. I was able to do whatever. So, but I, I would study for hours and feel like I went nowhere. And the person next, you know, so it was all that, mm-hmm. but I heard ADHD is when I learned about dyslexia. I learned about all these disorders, but I never learned too much about it. And then I wanted to ask you about 504s and IEPs and stuff, because you've worked with them a little bit more and I was just curious like if you have any thoughts about any of that what can make it better do you like the way it is set up now okay that's an entire podcast that's an entire (laughs) itself you know that's a that's a giant can of worms because there's look there's a we all know there's a giant gap look there's a giant gap between school and real life right here's mm-hmm. you can, i don't care what your i don't care what your profession is look i, I let, last year i took a plumbing class we could sit here we could learn everything correct in plumbing class but once i'm on a job site well it, it, it's a you know it, it's a different animal um so getting back to your you know ieps and 504s in an ideal world they're supposed to work a certain way in the real world it ends up coming out mm-hmm. in all kinds of ways the one, well, first of all, you know about the concept 
I was, all right, let me put it out there and then I'll come back. The most, the absolute most important aspect is self-advocacy and, and really owning your situation. And that's what yes. I want kind of hard one at. Coming back is that, you know, the, the, you know, the concept of least restrictive environment, right? Yes. Okay. So when you're doing, you know, when you're doing, when you're trying to decide between IEP 504, the, the, when you're dealing with special ed, the, the underlying fundamental concept that we kind of want to be guided by is least restrictive environment. You want to do, in other words, you, it's a gauge, right? You don't want to over put in, you don't want to build more, like a 504 is like, okay, look, you just have this issue. You don't need a whole workup. You just need this little accommodation here. Maybe you get to step out during, you know, separate location during tests. Maybe you get extra time. That's mm -hmm. all you need. You don't need a whole workup. Okay. You know, we you could try that or another student, maybe they need a lot more evaluate. You no, know, we need more evaluation. We need to figure out what's going on. You need a bit more comprehensive support. You, you, you know, your situation needs the comprehensive support of an IEP. Mm -hmm. Now it's a bit, bit more of a production, a bit more formal. And so that that's kind of to me how I differentiate 504 from IEP. And like I said, you always want to keep be mindful of the concept of least restrictive environment. You don't want to overburden, you don't want to overburden. I mean, think, you know, you know, you don't want to overburden, you don't want to, but you also don't want to under support. So it's about it's about finding the right the right match. Mm -hmm. uh, speaking of stigma, but see the issue becomes, and we, we talk about this at work, you know, we talk about this work. The problem is labels, right? On the one hand, you know, on the one hand, we don't want to get caught up in labels. On the other hand, we need labels, you know, to, to get paid. We need labels just to manage the system. So what happens is on IEPs, if someone has ADHD, it could be, or anxiety disorder, it could be coded certain things. If it's coded, it could be coded as an emotional disorder. It could be coded as a learning disability. And what we always, you know, if you can, and, and, I, and there's enormous stigma around that code of emotional disability. And especially people who don't know, I'm like, because, you know, I, I deal with this. I have to help kids find new schools. And if that has that code of ED, they, they, they you know, a lot of schools think the kid's going to burn down the school. Kids gonna get by like the, you know, there's a lot of yeah. that's a very loaded code. Um, you know, and I, I know a number of colleagues, I have a colleague, you know, and I, I have a colleague who has a child with that had an IP and I was like, it was anxiety, depression, it was something, and then they were gonna put emotional disability. He was like, mm, he or she was like, Nope, you're putting learning disability. Um, I'm not gonna, and you know, that that's the so that's mm -hmm. You know, that's what I said. This could be an entire episode itself and then some. So to, to answer the question, though, is that's why it's critically important to understand your own. And, and it's tough because, look, we have different levels of sophistication. I mean, you're mm -hmm. clearly on the very sophisticated level and you have, you know, you have means, you have sophisticated, you know, you have sophisticated parents with means and resources. What, mm -hmm. what happens, you know, what happens? And this is where, you know, why I'm really sensitive to it what happens with students who have one parent and that parent you know first of all they're financially struggling and the parents working like 24 hours a day they mm -hmm. can't show up to this they can't show up to the school meetings and it's not that they, it's not that they don't care they care greatly but if they have a job where you know they don't have a you they don't have they don't have it you know they have a job where if they take off they're going to get fired mm -hmm. so 
they're in a they're in a really crappy spot. Show up to show up to your kid's school to advocate for your kid and or get fired. These are your choices. Similarly to Dan, Anne works on both the personal and professional side of ADHD and neurodiversity. She is a special education teacher with ADHD, who in the episode Teaching with ADHD shares some of her wisdom. Let's listen in. I'm Ann Bucheri. Um, I am uh, 47 years old. I am a special education teacher. I've been one for the past about 25 years, and um, I also have been recently diagnosed with ADHD. Well, uh, I was diagnosed approximately, uh, I think it was a year ago, February. Um, it's It's been a little while now, but it, I mean, for somebody my age, that's pretty late. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was a kid, uh, I was basically, you know, I was diagnosed with daydreaming. <laughs> And then you mentioned Kadiosaurus. So I'm assuming, though, you've seen a lot of the TikTok, Instagram podcast stuff all about neurodiversity, ADHD and stuff. Yes, I love it. I love it so much. It is. I think it's one of the best parts. Uh, I mean, OK, yeah, social media is awful. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's terrible for us. It's, it's bad. But if I had to pick a bright spot that has been an advantage to that, it's definitely people who are neurodivergent, um, being able to kind of put out their experiences and then people recognizing those experiences in themselves and going, oh, wait, maybe that's not normal. Maybe, maybe something is going on. You know, they wouldn't have even realized that something may have been a little, you know, off kilter without seeing that. And so I think that that's been one of, you know, the best resources. I mean, granted, you know, there's a lot of people who are like self-diagnosing and, and, and stuff like that. And so obviously, you know, you can't just use TikTok or social media to diagnose your own neurodivergencies. You know, you really do need to bring in professionals for it. Um, but I think that in terms of a screening tool and allowing people to kind of see what you can expect if this is you, I think it's been, I think it's been marvelous. I think it yeah. has been really helpful. Yeah, I know because for me, I was diagnosed when I was like 10, but I didn't yeah. do much research on it or look into anything it, mm-hmm. until like over quarantine, I saw one of Connor DeWolf's videos and I realized that like I related to some of that. And then suddenly yeah. I found myself super interested in researching all of this other stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's really and I think it helps because it, it allows people to kind of approach that subject matter in a way that's not super threatening because it's like, you know, it's if you have the choice of either looking at like a professional medical journal about ADHD or three minute TikTok, you know, it's obviously which one's a little bit more approachable. You know, mm-hmm. you don't see a lot of people like seeking out medical journals, uh, you know, scientific journals and reading the abstracts to find out, you know, hey, does this have anything to do with me? It's more common. It's, it's almost like the, the the social media aspects are kind of meeting people where they are and allowing them to kind of see and then that kind of triggers that need to go and then do further research or go and get um some kind of uh mm-hmm. you know evaluation and and find out you know if, if this is something for real and you know if so what to do about it yeah i feel like it also helps with the realizing that you're not the only person experiencing these yes I know yeah. that's definitely been a thing for me yeah, I um I worked with uh what's funny is is I worked with a nurse. Um I used to do the diagnostic aspects of my job as well, which mm-hmm. is where I would go in and do like academic testing and kind of consult with the psychologist and we look at the test scores and kind of figure out, you know, are these scores kind of a pattern of, you know, some kind of a disability? And if so, what kind and what can we do about it? 
And uh, then on that team is typically uh, a school nurse. And I told the school nurse when I was on this team, when I was, again, still, this is many, like eight years ago, um, still having trouble kind of focusing. And uh, whereas my memory was really great, like being able to kind of hold on to a thread and keep with what the conversation was, you know, talking about in these meetings sometimes was a real challenge for me. And I told the nurse, I'm like, I think I might have adult onset ADHD. And she's like, no, she's like, if you have ADHD, you've had ADHD. And I'm like, oh, you know, and then I started thinking about it. I'm like, I wonder, you know, I, I got okay grades in school. And then my mom found my report cards from when I was a kid. And every single one of them, like every two, two, every single one, Annie daydreams a lot. It'd be great if she didn't daydream so much. And I'm like, y'all didn't see that pattern and think maybe something was going on? I know I have a lot of interviews about ADHD, but let's not forget some of the great stories from other people, including Emmis, a high schooler who has been struggling with autism throughout her high school experience. In the episode, Autism in High School, she shares her story about the struggles and successes of having autism in the current world. Okay, um, my name is Emmis Johnson. Um, I'm 17, I'm a junior, and I, I don't know, I'm, I'm just autistic. <laughs> I think, like, the first time I heard about autism was, like, pretty young, like, kindergarten, first grade, because, um, my mom was, like, a preschool teacher, and, like, some of the students would kind of, like, have autism, so that's kind of how I found out. Yeah, I feel like like I've always been under this like label of just like I don't know depressed or shy or awkward you know um when there's really something more underlying mm -hmm. and I feel like that just had a lot to do with just like I like I don't know if it was because of something but I know that just like I don't know, like a lot of things. Like, how do I explain this? Like, I feel like I couldn't really seek help, like growing up as like somebody who's Asian and like trans and stuff because people wouldn't take me as seriously, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Um, and like, I had to mask a lot, like a lot of my life and it was so mm -hmm. emotionally draining um until I kind of cracked <laughs> yeah so like I was like doing really bad like eighth grade and then quarantine came and I kind of like lost that mask a lot because I was just like by myself most of the uh -huh. time yeah so that like allowed me to open up about it but like like I guess growing up with like like my Asian mom she was so against neurodivergency like like her own child mm -hmm. what um I felt like I couldn't even like explore that possibility for mm -hmm. myself without her not supporting me until I like kept pushing it and pushing it but um yeah I guess that's just my experience with it mm -hmm. yeah. what did masking kind of look like for you like what type of stuff did you try to do to kind of mask your symptoms um honestly I was just like kind of a bully <laughs> because <laughs> I'm like this works um I realized like the time that I had the most friends was when I was like the meanest um <laughs> I was like okay. yikes um yeah I was just like really mean because like 
it just came off as like, oh, I'm being mean on purpose, you know, like, yeah, I'm like, I'm super honest. And that's super on purpose, guys. Um, But like, um, I'd like keep myself from moving. Like I tense up. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was like a, I felt like a worm. <laughs> I hope but, you guys um, enjoyed hearing about some of the clips from this podcast. If you would like to share your story or thoughts with me, feel free to reach out through email to twiceexceptionalpodcast at gmail.com or message me on Instagram or TikTok at twice underscore exceptional podcast. Consider following the podcast on social media or sharing it with others to keep spreading the word about the complexities of neurodiversity. Thank you.